There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you. Introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash monthly 5 k If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by... Union Bank Global Linker, a free digital platform that empowers Filipino MSMEs to digitize their business and go global. Sign up now at unionbank.globallinker.com slash hustleshare to get a free ebook on surviving COVID-19 for your business. Also by Tagcash. Spend, play, earn, and build a mobile wallet super app for your startup. Go now to hustleshare.com slash tagcash to apply and get your startup's mobile wallet. And Caliber is the easiest, most convenient way to get hired. Caliber Tailor fits the perfect job for you based on your unique skills. Hire the best people for your company at www.caliber.com and use the promo code HUSTLESHARE. Caliber, where jobs find you. I looked at it and looked at it and realized that actually the creative industry, um, because of many reasons of facts like ego and just kind of like actually kind of not wanting to change the, the status quo too much because of ego, because of how we kind of structure so these things. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences. Without our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Bate Young. Welcome to episode 80 of the Hustle Share Podcast. My name is Ronster, and I'm your host. And this episode is powered by Union Bank Global Linker, a free digital platform that empowers Filipino MSMEs to digitize their business. We are a proud affiliate of the Podcast Network Asia, but before we begin, we'd like to remind you that this podcast contains Nazi Farik language, so make sure there are no kids when you're listening to this. Because today we're going to be talking about the biggest premium creative network in Southeast Asia. And to tell us this hustle behind it is their founder named Patrick Searle of GetCraft. And today Patrick's going to tell us how he grew up being used to travel around the world and how he eventually settled in China as an 18-year-old, where he was able to witness China's exponential growth last decade. He's also going to share how it was like when he moved to Indonesia and what it was like in the early stages of their startup ecosystem there. And after leading Ogilvy in Indonesia, Patrick is going to share what it was like after he founded GetCraft and the pivots they had to do to get the traction that they have now. And stick around till the end because he'll give us great advice on how to run a marketplace startup. 
how to run an overseas team, and many, many more. So if you're ready to learn the hustle behind Gitcraft, let's begin this episode right now. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Share Podcast. We are going international. Unfortunately, we are not flying out to beautiful Bali to get this, and I wish I was there with you, Patrick. But um, <laughs> welcome to the show, Mr. Patrick Searle of GetCraft. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Again, um, it's so random because I've been wanting to get to know you. And again, shout out to your local team here, Rafi, and, and the rest of the guys. Um, because I've been wanting to meet you personally and just i just i didn't realize that we've actually been coordinating with each other in the same group chat so i'm a former 500 startups investee and you uh, since covid you've been posting a lot of uh, updates and uh, as well there's like wow i didn't realize patrick was here this whole time so again thanks for having uh, the time to meet with me today Absolute pleasure. So thank you for inviting me on this. Um, happy to be the, the Hustle Share audience. And I have listened to a few of your podcasts. So uh, oh, yeah, I've been enjoying them. Okay, thank you show. so much. Sorry for the cuss words, but I'll, I'll just keep it real before we even go to, before, before we start. I, I like a good bit of swearing, so it's all good. You know? <laughs> uh, all, good. all right. Now, just like every other episode, I've, I guess you've listened to it. Patrick, what's your hustle? So my hustle, I am a CEO and co-founder of GetCraft, uh, which is a premium creative network. And simply put, all we're trying to do is make it incredibly easy to connect uh, creators um, with uh, people who want to give them money. Um, so that's really yeah, the hustle of GetCraft. And so far, it's going well. Um, we have about 10,000 creators who we've wow. given about over $10 million of like projects do so we're pretty happy but we definitely haven't you know from a hustle perspective i would say we still have kind of a long way to climb so we're definitely not out of the uh the, the yeah the, the hard work yet so absolutely but 10 million worth of yeah. project that's amazing right and especially yeah. in in a creative's point of view that it is all it's we're, we're technically talking about talent and art or somewhere yeah. in between right um, if you don't price it right, there's a high chance that you're going to get taken advantage of. And yep, absolutely. Yep. And, and what, you, what you guys do is amazing. Thank you. And yeah, you're right. Um, it's a, a big part of also what we're doing is for the network, which is just, you know, just basically a big directory and job board is mm. also actually you know, running lots and lots and lots of training and lots and lots and lots of education. So right. Uh, trying to teach people so they don't get taken advantage of and so they can also deliver better so you have happier clients at the back of it. So, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Now, before we get uh, carried away and talk about um, uh, Get Craft in detail, I need you to ride with me. Uh, sure. From Bali, I'm going to pick you up and you ride sure. shotgun. We're sure. going to ride the hustle, the hustle Share time machine. Sure. Okay. All right, there you go. That was fast. I didn't know we can get, we can travel that fast. Um, by the way, I miss Bali, man. The last time I was there was like a couple of years ago, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. A lot of and, good food too. And yeah, right now it's also beautiful. It's, it's very nice, though, because it's completely deserted, so you can just cruise around. <laughs> the streets are yours. And yeah, the traffic is does not exist for no, sure. No, it's amazing. It's quite scary actually. How kind of fast you can get around, but yeah. Anyway. <laughs> all right now let's let's go all the way back well how did you start your hustle uh, because in your linkedin uh it says here that the, the first thing you put is uh and you're you're in shanghai but growing up was there any semblance of being an entrepreneur that you had in your thing how was uh growing up like and what's the first hustle that you remember doing i, I wouldn't say i was um you know entrepreneurial in terms of building businesses but i worked uh and i have worked like many 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 jobs mm -hmm. so from service industries to uh you know being barman restaurants uh oh, wow. to, of course the paperboy of course um taking you know around china a famous italian musician with the italian government wow um, to running a, a huge like three thousand person events so i used to be a promoter uh just for fun um, promoter um, like a nightclub promoter yes so what? i realized, so I, guess, yeah, I realized when i was 16 that you know, obviously, um, 
I couldn't get into clubs, but I could nice. pretend to be a club promoter and say, hey, I've got, you know, 3,000. Uh, <laughs> that was my yeah. life. That's why yeah, I created Party Pile, because I oh, couldn't get to clubs, right? Yeah. And so, I had to create yeah, an app. Yeah, and yeah. then I discovered, yeah, being 16 years old, if you're bringing 2,000 people to a club, the, the club management oh, yeah. quite likes you. Um, Absolutely. Happy to waiver a few things and kind of pass, you know, let you kind of go to the VIP room, you name it. So, um, right. yeah. So, I think that's what like, I was, I have been doing for a good 10, 15 years, just lots and lots of different types of jobs and really wow. kind of exploring what was it that excited me. Um, but I only decided to pull the trigger as an entrepreneur, like quite late in life when, yeah, when mm. I was 26. Um, wow. So I was really waiting to find uh, what was that idea that I think that would really kind of zing and could really, it was needed out there. So um, I rejected, like a lot of friends wanted to build startups in Shanghai. Mm. in china but i kind of felt that it didn't have legs or it just wasn't wasn't feeling the passion so mm. i kind of rejected it until i found getcroft and the, the, or that concept of getcroft kind of emerged and then it got was it. Yeah, all that so got it now yeah. i'll just track back a little bit now you doing the jobs that you did so one thing mm. that's uh, I, I can empathize really well is how nightlife kind of forces the hustle in you because it's not a professional environment it's all real hustle and a lot of a lot of people skills that you, but yep. if you thrive in nightlife, you can make it anywhere. And I always say that I'm very yep. thankful of what I had to go through because the, the best deals don't happen in a boardroom. They happen in the club. Right. Yep. Um, yep. And what are the skills that, that stick out that you developed over the, those, uh, those jobs that you took prior to, to pulling the trigger that really sticks out that, that made, made them the, your go-to move over, over uh, your whole career. Wow, um, I think if you're going to look all the way back or all the, all the different jobs um, out of that, um, I think really actually it was the some of the bosses and some of the businesses that I worked for. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a few, uh, one or two really good eggs and really, you know, say in the UK, really good mentors who mm-hmm. kind of showed me kind of what it meant to be a really good boss okay. and what it meant to be a really bad boss. Um, and I think you know, two people I'd shout out with, like Thomas Crampton, who was at Ogilvy, uh, was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then a guy called Sam Fleming, who was at CIC in Shanghai, who was one of my first jobs. Okay. Um, both okay. of them were pioneers. Thomas, because he was just an absolutely kind of you know, great manager and a great leader. Sam, because the business model he had was just phenomenal and just like didn't even like, if I, yeah, basically it was like the NSA for China internet. Wow. Uh, that's what it was doing. And it was just mm-hmm. incredibly cool. So I think, what it really allowed me to do is to you know, work with very good people to see um, what is really, really a, a good solid idea and what is really legit management. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably what I learned in that because at the same time that was, you know, I was working hard in all these different jobs. I was also, I'm sure you were as well, you know, running into, right. uh, you know, we can this a few assholes and a few asshole yep. bosses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, going there and, you know, I wouldn't say, like, I was such a pretty good employee, but uh, right. watching is you know, who was kind of could manage and could manage. And some funny stories throughout that, you know, getting fired for things that the manager told me to do, but then his boss saw some stuff. So he's like, just passing the blame down. You name all those fun stories yep. in all the different types of jobs and um, all over the place. So, right. Yeah. And I, I totally agree because it's either you, you, you find someone that you're going to be like, right, I want to run my team just like how this guy did it. Yeah. Or it's the polar opposite, like, oh, God, I will never be you, right? So, yeah. and you, have, you yeah. have to go through the mixed bag. You have to go through both of them. So at least you know where to put yourself yeah. and how you want to attack it. Completely. I think that probably, after having that and a few bosses who completely, like, you know, took advantage, I think I got to a point, I was like, you know what? I think it's time for me to, like, if not, like, running a business, just, like, you know, probably work for myself for the most of, yeah, most of my career going forward from now. All right. Now, um, I want to get your feedback on how, what it was like. What brought you to Asia uh, predominantly? Because, again, coming, growing up in London and whatnot, what, what, yeah. what, uh, what was it like growing, going all the way to this region? And yeah. what are the biggest adjustments you had to make, uh, given that you know, any, any type of movement at the end of the day will always be a step out of your comfort zone? Yeah. Um, so, 
I think I was very lucky because, as I mentioned, my dad kind of came from Kenya, and my family is literally like I would say kind of old colonial in the good style, not the bad style. <laughs> uh, what that really meant is that they were kind of like explorers, and okay. they literally kind of traveled around the world. So Kenya, KL. Uh, like oh, wow. moving their families like across continents to kind of you know mm. seek out work, seek out life. Okay. And I think what that meant is that when I was and again, I, I think the only thing I'll say is like one of my grandfathers. He was like he because of the war he uh, was in the paper business, so he was literally um, going around the world, to going to Hong Kong, going to Philippines, going to Japan back oh, in wow. the nineteen forties, forties and fifties, mm-hmm. and just really like yeah, it gave me that inspiration to kind of go overseas and. Mm. I actually first went to um, China when I was uh, uh, 17, 18 years old. Wow. Um, and I did it as a gap year. So I spent you know, essentially uh, six months acting as a teacher where okay. I was getting paid about $50 a month to be a teacher. What? And they were selling on my services for about uh, like $400, $500, which we quickly mm. discovered and kind of got very frustrated with. Um, <laughs> but even though we were getting completely taken advantage of. And right. um, what we got to see is China in, uh, this was back in 2006-ish, right. when, uh, and I was in a third tier city, um, so a small city of only 10 million people, which is a small okay. Chinese city. Um, I got to see as their kind of the GDP growth rate went at wow. up to about 13 to 15%. Wow. Um, and when literally in six months that I was in a city, you could see... Um, the skyscraper being built um, in front of your very eyes, and it was just mm. phenomenal to watch. Go from like the foundations all the way up in six months, and then you're in the you're in that mall and you're seeing it. And it it it's one of these experiences to being in China at that time that um, even now has changed. But mm. to see that level of growth and what it does to a city and the people and the optimism, it just completely hooked me like a drug. And I don't I think. That's what brought me to Asia. It was the speed of that change, which I'm completely yeah. addicted to. I think I have this thing, like, if I was, you know, back in the 1800s, I probably wouldn't be in Asia. I'd probably be in Portsmouth and running ships and, like, you know, sure. doing different <laughs> things. Like, it just, like, it, it just happened to be that at that time was the ch- age of China. And, um, yeah, yeah I, I'm very fortunate to kind of catch the very end of that. Um, oh. I wasn't a pioneer there. Like, I wasn't one of the early ones, but I wasn't, I wasn't late either to it. I got right True. in the middle. That sweet spot, which is right really place at the right time, right place at the right time. Yeah, so absolutely. Okay, now let's take our first break, and when we come back, let's now talk about how you jumped and founded GetCraft uh, Get Craft, uh, uh, from all of your experiences, like you know, Gilvy and whatnot. But let's talk about that more after sure. the break. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at PH, the country's biggest SaaS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. 
Apply now at sasschallenge.ph. That's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We're still with Patrick Searle of Getcraft. So, Patrick, before the break, you're already here in Asia, right? And uh, you've, you've done a lot of jobs as well that you said, 17, 18. But out of China, right, uh, you, you've been there. The, mm-hmm. the, the one that sticks out again from your experience here is you went all the way down south to the, yes. to the East Indies, uh, to, mm-hmm. to Indonesia, right? And you worked there as a managing director, you'll yep. be Indonesia, right? How was that like? How was Indonesia going in? Because in, in terms of the whole Southeast Asia, um, yep. when we talk about markets and whatnot, Indonesia is always the biggest price. 300 million people, if I'm correct. Um, yep. And a growing, growing economy, right? It's, it's just, yep. it's prime, right? Uh, it's like, a, what, what, it was, what was it like um, working there coming from China? So um, the biggest thing that attracted me to Indonesia um, when I landed was just how, I guess, uh, almost eight, nine years ago now, um, undeveloped it was. And I know for a lot of people that's a huge turnoff. And people have just started to realize that China was a huge thing. And then there was me moving to Indonesia um, to make this next jump. And everyone's like, what the hell? Why are you leaving China? Um, Why are you going to this place called Jakarta, which no one had really heard of, and where Google Maps didn't work, um, which you can't really kind of imagine when that was happening. And um, you'd have to go there and get, you know, what's called objects, not gojeks, but objects all over the place. Um, If you're lucky, you got there, but often they got lost as well because they didn't know where they were going either. Uh, (laughs) But what kind of hooked me straight away is, A, um, I said the people, because they are some of the nicest, warmest, friendliest people out there. Um, And I would say, actually, I was very lucky to live with a lot of Filipinos in China, actually. So I also quite like Filipinos. Uh, But lovely, lovely Indonesians, like incredibly happy people who put family above business, uh, which is really, really nice. Um, but secondly, it's just that being yeah, the entrepreneur, like I just saw these huge, you know, like roadblocks, uh, huge kind of, you know, holes everywhere and things to be fixed. Um, yeah. and I saw this 300 million people and I saw, but also it was really nice is there was access. So yes. within the first like week or two weeks that I was in Indonesia, um, I managed to kind of go to Gojek's offices. Um, and although I didn't know how big it was going to be, I kind of was just like sniffing around and having a chat. Um, I managed to meet this guy called William from Tokopedia, which back then he hadn't raised any money. Um, Wow. Are you kidding me? Pre-unicorn. Pre-unicorn, two unicorns. Yeah. And I think I forgot to actually, I think he was kind of offering me a job and I was like, it's one of those ones. I was like, yeah, dude, not really big fan of e-commerce. But thanks ever so much. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think I turned out a job, which is probably very stupid now in hindsight, another you know, billion dollars. Um, and to, but yeah, but within that first week, I managed to meet all these people. And I was like, okay, this is, this is unusual because right. in China, um, to give you some context, it was already getting to a point where it was getting calcified and it was getting very, very hard to kind of go there and actually kind of meet some of these people, get the access you wanted if you wanted to do some big initiatives. Done. So I think that's what kind of drew me into Indonesia um, initially. It's just that the opportunity from, yeah, like both what I saw as an entrepreneur, but also just the people and the arts and you know, this, this rich culture they have everywhere. So um, yeah, that, that's what sucked me or drew me away from China. Even though I speak Chinese, um, oh, wow. I, I invested four years, in, or I invested eight years into China. Mm-hmm. I gave it a lot and said, you know what? I think Indonesia has got something really interesting. Yeah. And Southeast Asia, actually not just Indonesia. Southeast Asia has got something really interesting going for it. So I think it's time to kind of check it out. So from Nihau to Apakabar real quick. That's what <laughs> I actually get a lot of, uh, whenever I'm in Singapore or in KL, for yeah. some reason, everybody says Apakabar to me. I'm like, huh? What are you talking about? <laughs> and every time you, they say, you look Indonesian. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? But yeah, I look myself in the mirror like, ah, oh, gosh, yep, you're right. <laughs> not, until, not until I start talking then. Oh, okay. So that, <laughs> right. So, okay. Now, it, you talked about the, the great stuff. What, what about yep. the hard stuff, though? Getting Indonesia, Indonesia, again, and managing not just a whatever company. This is Ogilvy as a managing director. 
what was yeah. the hardest stuff you had to build? Because I'm pretty sure a lot of what you learned here, you also applied when you started GetCraft. Yeah. So I think the really the big thing that uh, was happening in Indonesia, which also happened in China, was I'm not sure about Philippines if this happened actually. I haven't asked sure. this as much, but um, what was going on is that there was, a, there was a very old kind of layer of directors and people in their 40s and 50s who were kind of running these mega huge businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was nobody in them from middle management perspective, director management, there wasn't really anybody who was kind of um, thinking in a modern management style. Mm-hmm. And what this meant is that when I kind of went in as managing director, um, I kind of realized that I couldn't really hire any competent or like middle managers or account like director level above people um, okay. because they've just been trained in this kind of old school style of management. So you have um, to build so, them up. So yeah, so exactly that. What we basically did is we um, we came in with very strong startup the startup playbook okay. of you know strong mission, strong vision. Uh, really, like you know, we had a culture deck where everyone was looking at me saying, "What what is this culture deck? Like, why do you need a culture deck?" and um, and really had really like strong kind of you know position for these um, for these people and tried to basically hire really clever young smart Indonesians uh, who were either kind of local um, or who were uh, coming back from overseas and okay. weren't really happy with these kind of them you know these huge other companies that they were kind of being offered to go into yeah. um, and so as a result we managed to get lots and lots of kind of very clever young people. Um, and just give them, teach them that kind of really good management, startup management playbook. And I'm really proud that like a lot of those people who are, you know, were back then were a little, you know, wet behind the ears interns um, mm. are now market directors and wow. they're running these, like the manage, you know, running million dollar budgets for these big startups because nice. they've just kind of gone there and taken it, kicked off, kicked on, kicked on. And now, yeah, running like huge kind of far better than I am doing and really, really impressive to watch them. So it's been really nice. And, you know, all the big, unicorns uh all of them are there like all over the place so yeah it's yeah, yeah the mafia if you want, the ogilvy mafia nice. has gone <laughs> but i would imagine with such yeah. a rapid and such a shutter sudden change in culture there's got to be some friction because you, there's a changing of the guard technically that oh happened God. there, right? Oh and how did you get buy-in to, to get to that? Because no matter how strong the vision is, how strong the mission yes. is, if you don't have buy-in from the people that you work with, it's, 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 it's going to be dead in the water. Okay. Um, so, funny story. Um, I didn't. Um, I was, um, for in Ogilvy, uh, Tom Crampton, who's a great boss, Okay. Uh, he basically uh, paid for my salary for the first six months. What? Um, and the kind of this guy called Paul Young, uh, sorry Paul Heath, who was the APAC head. Right. Um, unfortunately, when he came visit about two three weeks later, when I like just started, he went there and said, "Oh, how's my Trojan horse doing here to kind of help me completely, <laughs> you know, upgrade the office and bring about new spark and mentality and vigor to it." Uh, at which point, every single one of my kind of managing directors, my co-managing directors in Ogilvy, looked at me and went, "Who the hell is this guy? And why is he here to kind of you know be the Trojan horse?" Um, so essentially, um, I had a business where they didn't really believe in social and digital, um, and straight up, I had six months to basically prove that. Um, I could build a business and that there was a kind of a, an audience and a demand for what we were doing at uh, Ogilvy. Yeah. Um, and that's it. And if I didn't do it in six months, I was out of a job. So yeah. I, I wasn't allowed the leeway of having any buy-in. It was, I had literally knives out from me day one because of what they'd done. Okay. Um, and yeah. I just had to go there and win as much business as possible and um, show them that actually, you know what, this is a really profitable, huge amount of opportunity in digital and social. Um, and yes, I'm going to have to do it this different way because we can't build it the way you've been building it because it's mm-hmm. failed. You've already gone through two other GMs, managing directors on this. So obviously mm-hmm. your approach isn't working. So let me have a go at doing my way. So, um, yes, it was very political. Um, but thankfully after six months, um, we managed to win eight, nine clients. Wow. Um, and quickly show them that actually we were, um, you know, we had what it took to kind of build a pretty profitable business 
And that's, yeah, um, how I got the buy-in and saying, well, I don't want to lose his business. And he mm -hmm. seems to be doing all right. And the client's quite like him and the creative director quite likes him. And yeah, let's, this, this seems pretty good. And, and the team he's building is pretty cool. And it, um, the team that after I left, they just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So I think it ended up right. being like 50, 80 people or something by the end of it. So it, it almost took over like half of the agency and that culture and that mold just, it, it grew across the whole kind of overly form my area. Like a literal Trojan horse. <laughs> That's exactly what you did. <laughs> so yeah, I guess, I guess he was right. You know, he literally <laughs> did actually do its job. By the end of it, they were like, it helped re like replenish and revitalize it for, you know, for Indonesia. So yeah, it did its job. And actually not just Indonesia, um, we took that model and then we took that to Philippines. Oh. Um, we took that to Malaysia and we took that to Thailand uh, and Singapore and Hong Kong. And we yeah. took the same structure and we then, it, so I actually became a regional uh, kind of managed director, a regional uh, kind of support role actually for Ogilvy and social Ogilvy at the time, uh, taking what we learned and reapplying it to Philippines back then and, um, and, yeah, and Vietnam as well, sorry. So yeah, um, and that's nice. where I got the taste of um, Asia at the time, or the other markets Southeast Asia, which is really fun at the time. That is amazing. Now, I'm curious, when hmm. did the itch start to start ap appearing? Because I'm pretty sure Ogilvy gave some nice perks. But for you to leave all of that and jump yeah. and, and take the leap of faith to be a startup founder, yeah. what pushed you to this? And what was it like doing that first leap of faith? So, um, I guess the itch of GetCraft actually started um, four or five years before that, uh, we'd made the decision to build it. Um, and it started because I was in Shanghai, um, I was working for another agency, it's quite a famous one called Wide and Kennedy. Okay. Um, and they do all kind of the creative ad work for Nike and they did all the work for uh, Old Spice. Wow. Um, because I was kind of working with these type of brands, people will come up to me and be like, hey Patrick, you work in advertising, um, can you recommend me a videographer? Hey Patrick, you work in advertising, can you give me this contact? Mm -hmm. Hey Patrick, you work in this, do you know this person? Or can I, who's the best designer or writer? Mm -hmm. And I kept on getting these questions being asked mm -hmm. to me. Um, and then I kept on, as I, as I moved into, you know, management, like managing role uh, at Ogilvy, and, um, and then also started to look into the startup scene, I kept on getting people asking me this question again and again and again. It's like, hey Patrick, do you know where I can find a good designer or photographer or influencer or publisher or a TV station or you name it, or agency? Right. I kept on getting this question again and again and again and again. And it just got to this point where I was like, I looked at it, uh, looked at it and realized that actually the creative industry, um, because of many reasons and facts like ego and just kind of like, actually kind of not wanting to change the, the status quo too much because right. of ego, because of how we kind of structure so these things. Mm -hmm. I kind of realized that actually they hadn't kind of solved the fundamental problem of our industry, which is just discovery. Correct. Um, it like it, you couldn't go there and there's no one single place to find great creative talents or right. both, you know, professionals and our businesses. And I realized that this was just killing our industry because it right. means that, um, instead of being able to go there and, you know, quickly find talent and work with them and, and do this, mm -hmm. we then ha have to go through this two, three week pitching process followed mm -hmm. by a two, three week, kind of, you know, or sorry, two, three week discovery process followed by a two, three week pitching process right. followed by the thing itself. And then it just meant that we're very slow and it's just hurting the industry in a big, mm -hmm. big, big way. So all of this kind of kept on stackpiling, 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 getting to a point where it's like, I can't see myself not fixing this problem. Mm. And this is why, you know, as an entrepreneur, you get to this point where it's like, yes, you know, we can go there and live in agency land and have a good life and kind of, you know, and by then it was pretty easy because, you know, make a good salary, uh, the business is running itself and just all you need to do is just, just run the, run, yeah, run the motions. Yep. Um, but it was at this point, it was like, but it, it's building in this, like this structure that is never going to, actually fix itself and so the same issues that we'll run into again and again and again um, aren't going to fix themselves unless myself or somebody else chooses to go there and fix that and so that's what was the eventual catalyst and the spark so I have to do this now and same it's like you know we've been going for six years now like we didn't get it right the first time or the second time but we're still in it yeah you know we've pivoted once twice but we still think that you know there's that problem and every time we pivot, we're getting closer and closer and closer to kind of fixing on that 
right? Something that model that really works and we think it really solves the problem uh, for our creators out there. So, um, and yeah, like as you know, as an entrepreneur, it's like sometimes you want to throw in the towel, but when that mission is kind of so strong, it's right. like I can't see myself doing anything else. Like I don't want to work at Facebook, I don't want to work at Google, I don't want to work. At- correct, I just, correct. I just We're virtually unemployable. Once you take that leap, you don't want to go back. Pretty much until okay until the until that problem is fixed, I can't do anything else. Basically, correct. correct. But I'm, I'm wedded to it, um, and yeah, hopefully it doesn't kill me in the process. But no. that's yeah, that's that's where we are with it. No, absolutely, and I totally agree. Now, I have a question before we take our last break. You mm-hmm. said you did multiple pivots. How did you know, and how did you at least systematically pivot into the right direction? Because some some startups also do this, like they pivot yep. and they, they pivot in the wrong directions. Like we, you know, uh, just for the sake of pivoting, they pivot, right? Yeah. Not knowing that because they didn't have the right structure, or at least not measure the right metric, uh, yeah. in the right uh, the right I don't know uh, channel to do it that yeah. they were actually in the right direction and they pivoted to oblivion. For you, yeah. well, how, what did you do right in terms of pivoting that set you to the right direction that you guys <laughs> scaled on? Uh, honestly, I don't think we did. We did it right uh, okay. in hindsight. Um, you know, cause, and that's why we had to have you know, one or two other two pivots in this, okay. along this way. Um, but I think what we were able to do. So the first pivot was very much like we started out by saying, thinking that there was an opportunity to be like a content lead type of business or news cred, which is for those who don't know, it's um, the brands basically go there and pay $2,000, $3,000 SaaS model uh, or like, and you have access to all the talent available to you by kind of doing the $2,000. Mm-hmm. And I think what we kind of learned is that in that first kind of iteration is that, very simply, actually, um, what we misunderstood is that talent in Southeast Asia is cheap. Um, and I, I don't mean to in a bad way, it's just that as a result of that, people throw bodies at problems. And right. they looked at it saying, well, why on earth do I want to have a piece of tech when, you know, for $2,000, I can just go there and hire four or five people mm-hmm. and I can just WhatsApp them. And, you know, that's it, or vibe them. Like, you know, I don't need to have tech to kind of empower that particular piece if it's managed service. So that's how we started. Um, and then the second time was, wasn't so bad, actually. It's just that we um, then realized that actually we would be, um, it needed to be this open marketplace. And I think the only pivot was that, you know, we went from uh, being a bit more kind of service focused to more creator focused now. So it's less about, you know, the price of things and more about their, their prestige and the kind of the creative details. So I think that was more of a um, more of an internal alignment as we kind of went along the way. So it was one big pivot, I would say. And that's mostly because we just realized that, yeah, this, the premise wasn't working. And I think we were lucky to be able to survive these things because we were bootstrapping on the way along the way. So we haven't raised a lot of money, um, like, like only about 400 grand. Um, and wow. we just literally kind of like hustled, hustled, hustled. And just, you know, whilst we were building tech, we were trying to kind of fix the problem, speak to clients, speak to creators, trying to work out what that solution is. Mm-hmm. Um, and realizing there's like four or five huge problems to be fixed. And then trying to just organize it now in a way that's like, you know, systematic, say, great. If we don't fix that problem, then we can fix the next problem, then the next problem, and so on and so forth. So, All right. yeah. All right. Now, let's take our last week. And when we come back, I now want to find out and pay it forward to those people that uh, that uh, that are currently inter- enjoying this this podcast with you. But okay, yeah. let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again. And we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your 
Harvard business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions, liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey, Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn Earn in flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer. Trust DragonPay. And we're back for the final part. We're still, we're still with Patrick Searle of GetCraft. So Pat, thank you for, again, uh, Telling us that amazing uh, story about how you now pivoted to where it is. Now, mm. as, we, as we speak, you're doing a, a, a hybrid marketplace-assisted uh, uh, kind of type, right? And you're, you're doing a mixture. And it does convert because I've seen this really work for multiple niches. And the creative industry is very, very diverse. You know, name it, video, photo, whatever. There's a lot. Even podcasting is even considered to be one, correct? Now, um, I'm question. I'm 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 questioned. That that's stupid. <laughs> I'm I'm curious about how do you properly execute a marketplace business model? Because by default, this is one of the most common uh, business models that startup founders use, and only few get it right, right? Yeah. Because it's it's a supply and demand thing, and it can't you can't take one for granted because it has to scale together. How did you uh, make sure that both ends of the pipeline or whatever it is where, where it's supplier demand does well yeah. and how do you make sure that there's repeat usage? Yep. Um, so straight up, it's really hard um, to do a double-sided marketplace um, because, you know, you've got to kind of kind of cater to both, uh, of course, you know, the supplies and the demands uh, out there. Um, so I think something that I would, you know, 
for anybody who's considering doing this or who's doing this is to really think about, you know, who you're trying to monetize um, and then really think about, you know, how the marketing initiatives uh, that you're doing are helping kind of go there and actually like drive uh, the value proposition for uh, the clients or the creators who are kind of using in this situation or the, you know, the buyers or the sellers in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, I think it took us a bit of time to work it out, but what we kind of came to realize is that um, there's no point in trying to kind of compete with uh, the buyers or the, you know, the marketing service providers like the agencies, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so now what we're doing is that it's actually completely free for any kind of client who has a pitch or a project to go there and connect with the creators. Wow. Um, and so what we are then doing then is saying in reverse, what we want to actually say, then, or then the job then is actually say, well, how do we then get as many projects as possible coming from the, so like the value proposition for them, those clients is that mm-hmm. it's free, it's cheap and it's, you know, there's no price. Right. Um, and then the job is to say, like, how do we go there and get as many projects going in as possible to the front end? Mm-hmm. Um, because what we've realized that on the back end is that for the creators, all they want is just projects and projects and work and work and work and work. And if we can help do that, which we're starting to do, um, that's where we can actually monetize that part. And I think what we're doing and what we're planning to do is actually just to kind of go there and have a very simple um, monthly subscription fee for our creators. Okay. Um, and it could be you know, in the region of like, or probably the region of like $10 okay. um, to start with, maybe even cheaper, like five, six dollars. And mm-hmm. just by doing that, they're going to go there and actually get the value of having access to uh, 200, 300 projects that they could pitch on and have a chance mm-hmm. of taking part in. And um, that's how we're just going to start it because um, and balancing that out. So I think, you know, to summarize on your question, um, right. For those who are going to doing the, the double-sided marketplace, right. uh, I think it's all about just aligning on who you're monetizing and how you're going to go there and get, you know, uh, like how you're going to, for those who are monetizing, how you bring the value on both sides of that. And I think we've finally kind of like, it's all, what's fascinating about marketplaces, it's completely unique given the, you know, the power dynamics in your particular industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but we think that that's kind of the really powerful way to do that. And yeah, with our, we like the fact that, you know, we can then charge our creators a, a little small subscription mm-hmm. and we can start giving them more and more and more value. So more education, more tutorials, more community, more support uh, for that $9. And the, the, the value stack that's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and that's, yeah, I, I think it's something that aligns with our mission, which is just supporting creatives and empowering creators. Um, but yeah, I think that's what we've kind of found. And so far it's, uh, fingers crossed, touch wood, <laughs> yep. pivoting this too much and we can kind of go there and get that really good kind of like, you know, uh, you know, gr- and you, growth that we need to see. Yeah. That's correct. But you're, you're doing an amazing job. And one thing that I wanted to also ask, because you are now in technically four markets based on, again, what, what you say here, Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore. Yep. And it's not easy to run a startup in just one market. More <laughs> yeah. so, it's not easy to run a startup with four markets who, though, yeah, they're all in Southeast Asia, they are yep. very unique on their own. Indonesia's, though they all look, they look like Malaysians and Filipinos, they all look the same in one point, but, but they, are, they behave differently. How do you make sure you have the right team in place? And what are these things that you do so that the, the whole message or the whole mission still gets uh, executed to the dot? So it comes, so there's actually I'd say, two ways that this works if you do want to go overseas. And I'll say that for anybody who's going overseas, um, your VCs, your investors, or whoever will strongly tell you to really think about it. And okay. I would definitely also tell you for a fact, like, don't do it unless you are really in that kind of breakout mode, okay, of okay. growth. And so you really find your product because otherwise it just amplifies the difficulty of what you're going to be facing. So just a caveat on that. Okay. But if you do decide to do it, um, what we, um, what I think is allows us to be successful by doing this is firstly, um, actually what we have done is uh, we built playbooks. Mm. And... I learned this from Ogilvy, um, but essentially, if you look into our Google Drive, um, what you will see is about eight um, 
50 to 100 page playbooks that then wow. spin off into other playbooks and other documents and other best practices. Okay. Um, and what we essentially have is a completely transparent internal uh, structure okay. um, that allows us to go there and actually take learnings and best practices from Philippines and then apply that to Malaysia. And then Malaysia then learns from that, improves upon it, gives it back to Philippines, because it's Indonesia, it's Singapore. Right. And so what we have is this learning organization that is making sure that the product, the process mm -hmm. is getting better and better and better. Mm -hmm. um, and that means that, um, by the way, just out of cure fun part about this is that it changes at different stages. Correct. correct. So every time you go, from three to ten to thirty to hundred to this yep. rule of three and ten, which is yep. something I really believe in. Um, yep. Every time you jump, the next it stage, blows up. <laughs> everything changes, and so it blows up. Yeah. Right. So what we've done is we've tried to document um, all the way through that and give our the next part then goes on to the managing directors that we look into finding those markets. Right. And that really, uh, what we do there is we just spend huge amounts of time. Uh, looking and finding the right people. Um, now, I'm, it's quite strange, but actually um, the biggest thing, <laughs> the way that we do it, and we've had luck with this at GetCraft, is literally LinkedIn ads. Ah. Um, so we take LinkedIn ads and okay. we plug it into um, you know, a job kind of application tracker. Right. Um, we'll get about 250 applicants, wow. um, which will then whittle down to about 60 people. Um, and then we'll normally do kind of, you know, first round interviews, second round interviews, third round interviews, fourth round interviews. Okay. Um, and we literally just whittle it down and down and down and down and down over the course of about, it takes about two to three months. Wow. Um, when we go there and end up with, you know, for, so we had, we just put a new manager director in the Philippines, right. Nikki, who's phenomenal, right. um, loved pieces. And yeah, we were in this kind of, yeah, this, this job application round for almost three months, nice. but going there and testing on there and then, you know, working out is that person right and then the different qualities and then what happens is you give these kind of you know if you once you have these people you give them that playbook and if they are what we hope they are mm -hmm. they just can they execute and they just absolutely deliver on that and right. i think nikki yeah, who's current mb is just a really great example of that he's just kind of um taking his playbooks, playbook and let him run with it let him run with it and then what's amazing about this is that you know he's a very talented kind of guy and right. he doesn't need actually he had a six month review recently of being in the company right. six months and one of the things he said he was like I really appreciate how you guys trust me to mm. um, you, know, you know play make my plays like right. because and we can trust him because he, he has this kind of great uh, resource of these playbooks right. um, but he wants to say like hey do we push that today or push that tomorrow or well, how do I want to play etc and yeah um, I think that's what has allowed us to be um you know, successful in this. And I'd say it's just a side of this, all of this is what's quite, we get would not exist without Google sheets. Mm -hmm. Um, so we couldn't have built this business, uh, 10 years ago. It wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and we are incredibly transparent. So yes. like people know what my salary is, they know wow. what everyone is making, they know oh how much money the business has. Um, so, and this is allows us to again get that collective learning innovation right. spirit going across all these markets so people can see what's going on you know every deal that goes through they are looking at analyzing and they're saying oh could i i wonder if i could take that and give that to my clients or mm -hmm. give that to my creator or can i take that talk and use that in other markets and i think that's what has allowed us to kind of see you know good success good growth uh just by using google sheets <laughs> um be transparent in that way so I think that's I, the you want to go overseas if you want to do I that. I am blown away. That is, I've never heard a startup be that. I, 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 it's cliche. People always say, yeah, they're, we're transparent, but not this type, this transparent. Everybody knows how, how much everybody makes, but that's amazing. And it, it goes to show that every, everything is transparent, that that trust level is there, hence yep. the results and the productivity yep. that your people bring in. That's oh, great. Oh. I'll tell you, it's hilarious. Like when we when we're in job interviews, like if mm -hmm. I like the person by the end of the job interview, they've probably seen our financials. What? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you see people looking at me like these big white eyes, and people either are kind of scared shitless by it, or they're literally just kind of jumping into it and getting into the base, and they're like, ah. And that's the people we're looking for. It's the ones who're like, ah, ah, ah. Like right. I've never been allowed to see this, and so mm -hmm. now we're like we're opening up the, you know, the. Like the source and the secret, you know, secret. So the, like the treasure, and they, they, right. they want to get their hands on it. So they've never been allowed to do that. Okay. Yeah, that's 
that's how I think some success we've had. We'd be lucky to have because of that. All right. I know you got to go, but I have one last question. Um, sure. this, this is a question that gets thrown at any type of industry right now. The, the whole coronavirus pandemic is, has really brought about a whole clusterfuck of problems for everybody. But yeah. one thing about the creative industry is that they're, they're one of the, the first ones to be affected. And the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is pretty far away because yeah. the creatives also, I mean, um, they're not high in the totem pole and they're one of the first ones to go all the time uh, yeah. when push comes to shove. I'm not, I, I don't mean that in any, in any bad light, but yeah. it's the reality, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Most, the gig economy um, yeah. technically doesn't thrive in situations like this. How do we bounce back from this using um, uh, GetCraft? You don't have to use GetCraft for this. Um, I think um, for a long time, the, the creative industry has worked against itself um, in many, many ways in terms of you know, how we build businesses and how kind of the structure of, you know, if I would say agencies, Mm-hmm. Um, but just the ways and the relationships and the ways of working have been messed up. Right. So I can definitely tell you that, you know, the next three months, six months, nine months, I hope it's not that long is yep. going to be painful. Um, yep. but I think from a ways of working, um, we do think this is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back finally of the, the agencies and that structure. And actually it's going to allow them to go there and kind of be reborn. Mm-hmm. Um, in the phoenixes that we know that they can be. There you um, go. And to be really honest on this one, it's like, you know, I know straight up, like I speak to uh, APAC CEOs of agency networks mm-hmm. and they completely agree that they need to completely re like build and, you know, like digitally transform their businesses. Okay. They will know this, but they don't have uh, part of my French the bollocks to kind of go there and actually kind of make it happen at the managing director level, at the operational level. Mm-hmm. And they've told me this straight up as well. So actually, I think they see this as um, an opportunity to say, actually, yes, we're going to have to break cut headcount by 20, 30, 40, 50% and some of these agencies will shut down. Okay. But actually, there is the opportunity now to rebuild it. And I hope they take this opportunity to rebuild it in the right way. Um, and part of that actually is that, you know, we're, I'm actually pretty bullish on agency business mm-hmm. um, in that I do think that actually all agencies are just like four or five, six or seven, 10, 15 very clever people in a room who solve business problems right. and they don't choose to be startups. They just use other monies. They want to kind of go for, they want to work on other people's business. So the consultant mm-hmm. model. So I think actually it's, we are in a very interesting period now mm-hmm. of what agencies can become. Mm-hmm. And I think for the flip side, for the creators, I think it's just as interesting because of the tools that are now uh, available to them right. and which are kind of like one ex- in existence, um, you know, a few years ago. And I would say, yeah, yes, but- you know, we hope. No, sorry. Just like Canva, I mean, that's just. Yeah. yeah. You can all all of a sudden be a creative person because of Canva. Those those little things. No, so you can, but I, I think what's interesting is that actually now um, something like GetCraft, what we hope actually does is allows that the person who is in an agency who's phenomenally good at one thing, they can actually mm. say, you know what, I'm just going to be a podcast host, and I'm going to be the very goddamn best podcast host out there because I don't have to worry about doing 25 other things. Correct. that I don't really want to do. But now, because of a platform like GetCraft, I can be found mm-hmm. and people can see that I'm the very best podcast host and therefore I'm going to be charging top dollar for this. And right. people will look at me and be like, Jesus Christ, that guy is better than any agency who can kind of stay, they can kind of do podcasts. But actually, he's right. the very best one. So mm-hmm. you can get top dollar for that service because they see that. So that's what we hope GetCraft does. But as well as that, I would say actually for professional creators, you know, the platform that kind of excites me is just, you know, Substack, Patreon, um, you know, affiliate business models, uh, right. e-commerce business models, micro brands. Like, mm-hmm. I think we're about to go into both from an economic perspective because of, you know, lack of jobs. I think right. we're going to go into a knowledge economy kind of type of situation like only moving forward mm-hmm. as, you know, AI robots take over our work right. and more and more creative kind of outlets become valuable as, so yeah, I, I am actually, really quite bullish actually mm-hmm. on like the creative uh, industry and what it's going to become. Um, and same with the brands that, you know, is it going to get built off this? Because you mentioned that, you know, creators once were, um, you know, the first to get rid of, 
Right. But I think what's going to start happening is that when your know, competition becomes, or when it becomes so much easier to build these kind of right. product brands, what's going to be distinguishing them is this mission, this vision, this purpose mm-hmm. uh, for all that. And I do think that the brands with the best stories will win now. Um, mm. So I think, again, I won't get into too deep on this, but that's why the bigger reason, the bigger, like when we build GetCraft, is we do want to kind of change not just the creative industry, but also just consumerism itself. Right. And getting kind of like, I think creatives have a very, very strong part to play in that. So absolutely, um, it's shit right now. But mm-hmm. all I'd say to all the creatives out there is learn. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. If you haven't discovered Webflow and no code, if you're a designer, get on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're a videographer, there are some incredibly cool tools now that are kind of starting to kind of emerge. And mm-hmm. again, new forms of, you know, webinars and podcasting. So all these new editing styles. You're a writer and you haven't got Substack going for you. You're not trying to build your newsletter. Then you know, what are you waiting for? Um, and again, if you're an influencer, I think you did the, like I, I think you already know the opportunity there. And same as a podcaster, like I think it's huge. Mi- mi- uh, I was playing to Alan about this. Alan Soon from Splice, right. um, I think, like he called it micro publishing, and I I, I I love it like so totally. much. I think you know being a podcaster, as you know, and being an influencer, which is the same. You're an influencer. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a really interesting business model. Like and hasn't been kind of opportunities. And again, I was surprised, you know, you guys have amazing sponsors, which is Thank shows you. that obviously the sequence of demand for your business. Right. Um, and I don't think, yeah. So I think there's a wealth of opportunity. And I know Philippines is just, you know, with podcasting, you know, there's been anyone like right. the amount of opportunity that's opening up there is just fantastic. So absolutely. I'm, yeah. Next three few months will be shit, but the, there is a very nice, um, I think, you know, uh, <laughs> Blue oceans will, will start to arise because I always I always like like um use the analogy of the Pangea right yeah. the Pangea is just like we, we were the Pangea before but as the plate tectonics move there's gonna be blue fresh oceans who are virtually untapped that yeah. people can you just have to make sure that you're alive and you have yeah. made it to actually uh, venture into those new blue oceans that that's gonna pop out of nowhere and I think I'll just end on this one and say like. For those who are out there, creative, like, stay busy. Um, you know, we've got this public brief platform that we just launched, and pop, you know, jobs platform, and we're going to be literally having lots of kind of NGOs put up jobs there. So just keep yourself busy, build your portfolio up. Um, the thing that's more scary about you know coronavirus is actually what comes next, which is you know the depression and what that means from a mental health perspective. Yeah. So you know, stay busy, listen to podcasts, keep your brain alive, yeah. keep it you know momentum up. Because that's more scary for me actually is that like the mental health crisis that's coming after this and that's why we're launching you know as you heard the crosses live all these daily talks right now to inspire the creative industry because i'm more worried about that and what it means but so i'll say yeah just use this and like i said use this next three six months to kind of hunker down and study up and then when yeah wait for Pangea to come and kick ass yep. there you go all right again thank you very much patrick appreciate it but uh, Patrick, if they do want to reach out, if they, again, if, they, if I'm a creative and I'm listening to this, how do they check out GetCraft and how do they uh, become part of the community? So it's very easy. Um, you just go to getcraft.com uh, and there you'll see the network and you, there you'll see the briefs. And so have a look if there's any projects that you want to have a hunt at. Um, and if you want to sign up, uh, right now we're making it completely free. So go there and literally it takes all of... Uh, about five minutes to kind of get your profile done the first part um, and then yeah you can start applying for projects and gonna get going so it's that easy getcraft.com and if you want to have a look at what we're doing um, in terms of the more of the daily activities go to crafters.getcraft.com and search for something called crafters live and yeah we're doing daily talks um, and webinars not podcasts webinars just teaching people and I think this week we've got a DJ uh, we've got a really famous oh, wow. guy with the music industry actually what's going on in the music industry which is really cool uh, we've got somebody knitting next Friday mm-hmm. um, and we've also got just fun chats going on with like you know Twitch is coming up which is going to be really interesting nice. um, TikTok uh, oh, wow right. lots of fun people kind of talking about all these new creative channels that I think is really cool and like yeah um, so yeah that's kind of what we're running we're going for so thank you very much again Patrick uh, that was amazing but before I let you go follow us on whatever podcast after listening to whether it's Apple Podcast Spotify please love us back follow because we got more episodes just like this we're amazing uh, coming up and if we did say some jargon don't forget that we do have show notes on hustleshare.com just check it out 
And if you want to join our community and be involved in how we do the show and suggest some guests, go to Hustle Share Community on Facebook. And don't forget to also message us in our chatbot at m.me slash hustle share, powered by chatbot ph. Again, Patrick, thank you very much. Everyone, it was a pleasure. Pressure. Uh, and I'll, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.